Hello, my name is Jerry Durham, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, What's Best for the Patient is Best for the Business. This podcast was put together for you, the healthcare practice owner, and wants to achieve success in your healthcare practice and turn this practice, this clinic, into a business. So if you want growth and scalability that drives financial performance, all three of those don't always come together. But if you want that, then you've come to the right place. I'm here to help you be most successful in your healthcare practice and turn it into a business. Cheers. Thanks for coming. All right. Welcome back. I am grateful and happy to have uh, yet another physical therapist. Um, I tend to interview a lot of physical therapists who is doing something that wasn't the norm probably about shit a year ago, forget five years ago yet is doing something that's making a big impact. And I think everybody out there needs to hear about as we discuss how the hell are we going to do what's best for our patients. And when we think about the other half of this show title is, is what's best for business is I think um, when we talk to Rebecca today and hear this story, you have to really think about the financial impact that's made by having um, someone in her role doing what they're doing, because I think this really is a huge impact. So how are you, Rebecca? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Cool. So uh, I'm just going to let you share your story and uh, tell everybody how you got to where you are today, because I think it's important context. And then we can go deeper into what you're doing today and how it's going to make a big impact and should be something that many people are thinking about. Sure. So I became a physical therapist kind of by accident. It was not something I wanted to do. I was going to be a lawyer and then I was going to be a stockbroker. I actually worked for Merrill Lynch for a while before I went to college. 9-11 happened and kind of shut that down. Also, I realized like I didn't think I could sit in an office all day and talk to people about their money. It it was really kind of (laughs) upsetting really to like hear the complaints that people had with the amount of money that they had and how they were treating people. And it just, it was not it was not my vibe. So I um, actually went to college and decided to become a physical therapist, partly because my dad had had some amputations and I had watched that process, just like everybody else had a knee surgery. I, you know, I was one of those um, lateral release victims in the, in the early 2000s. I had a bilateral wow. lateral releases. Wow. Yep. Some now of the I'm most like, painful patients I've ever treated in my life, by the way. Yep, arthroscopy and bilateral lateral releases. I was told I wouldn't be able to walk by the end of PT school if I didn't have these surgeries done. And at that time, I didn't know better. So I did that and kind of liked the experience of physical therapy. So I went to PT school, was certain I was going to specialize in brain and spinal cord injury. That's where I started my career. And then I had a family and really wanted to focus on life workflow. I've I've stopped calling it work-life balance. I'm calling it life workflow and wanted a job where I could be present more and really have a more flexible lifestyle, but still help patients. And a friend of mine said, Hey, like, why don't you come work in acute care with me? And I was like, gross. No, like there's no chance that I'm doing that. Um, but I did like, I just tried it. And at first I hated it. I thought it was super lonely. Like being a a bee in the hive, everybody's in the hive together in the morning, and then you go out to the flowers, and then you come back, and I just felt kind of lonely, because I was used to more of that team environment, but I got used to it, I liked the flexibility, I liked being able to leave work at work, I liked not having to carry all of my patients with me with these, like, six-month-long relationships, I liked being able to come and go, I liked, I, I just liked it, 
And because I only worked part-time to like facilitate that life workflow, I was the grout therapist. So I got put on any unit in the hospital. Anywhere there was a gap, that's where Rebecca went. So I learned about the ICU. I learned about cardiopulm. I learned about oncology, orthopedics. So I, I built this tool set little by little being the grout therapist. And, and it's also hard because you're never really part of a team if you're the grout therapist. And so I got also very good at establishing rapport with people quickly, whether that was physicians, nurses, patients, family members, being able to walk in any door and be immediately able to connect with people. So that was probably the best skill that I learned. And as part of being the grout therapist, I would carry this pager and the emergency department would call every once in a while and be like, hey, like we have this patient in purgatory. They can't quite go home, but they can't quite leave either. Like you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here situation. And so I would find myself down there and I would find myself not knowing what to do. Like they couldn't go to subacute rehab because they had to be there for three midnights and they couldn't quite go home because they didn't have any support at home and they didn't have any insurance for equipment. So it was this constant issue. But then it started to get to the point where there were so many of those calls that I couldn't manage my caseload in the ICU as well. So as part of my job on our clinical ladder, I am a, what's called a physical therapist specialist. And part of that is to how can we improve healthcare? How can we improve what we're doing in the hospital? So part of my job is actually process improvement. And so I thought like, hey, what if we pilot having a physical therapist in the emergency department all the time? and see how that goes. Can we improve operations in the emergency department and thereby also improve the care for our patients that are upstairs? Because all of those patients needed care, but we were prioritizing the emergency department because of discharge, right? Throughput, bedlock. But those patients in the ICU weren't getting the care that they needed either. So that was seven years ago in April. And here we are now. Now we have three full-time PTs in the emergency department, Monday through Friday, and one on the weekends. And we have the most physical therapy resources than any other unit in our acute care hospital each day. So long story long. No, that was good. Oh, there's so much in there. I did five years of acute care um, coming out of school. I love it. I thought, yeah. And some of your takeaways were, um, were interesting to hear. So I hope everybody heard that because it's legit that there were skills that just weren't going to be achieved elsewhere. Correct. Um, and learning different things. So here we are today in the, do we call it the ED or the ER? We call it the ED because it's not a room, it's a department. Okay. So here we are today in the ED, which sounds a little, maybe for a lot of people, sounds weird. What the hell is a PT doing in the ED? And again, the name of this show is what's best for the patient is best for business. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah, Especially you know, so here. talk a little bit about the people and where is, and by the way, when we talk about the patients, where's the value? I think you already shared some of it, right? That person's stuck in purgatory and that, that's yeah. a great name for it, but talk a little bit about the value to the people, the patients, and that'll flow right into the business side of it. I think, you know, the research-based benefits of having a PT in the ED are, are amazing. You know, we decrease throughput time, we improve patient satisfaction, we improve provider satisfaction, we decrease opioids, imaging. So all of those like practical benefits, there's research to support that. Yeah, but that's I think, great. I think the best way is to like mostly share stories about the people who yeah. need our services. And so mm -hmm. One of, one of the soapboxes that I always have, so if you've ever heard me on a podcast before, you, you will hear me say physical therapy should not be a luxury. 
And the emergency department is a safety net. And so we're seeing people who would never otherwise encounter a physical therapist. Yeah, great point. And, and we are making a difference for those patients. So, you know, for example, I had a patient yesterday who uh, is an unhoused individual who is, does not have um, very solid health insurance, has, has Medicaid coverage, but ha- so no subacute rehab benefits, very limited equipment benefits, very limited outpatient benefits, and really had experienced uh, an assault and a fracture. And so needed equipment also has no safe place to recover. So one of the best things is, is being able to work in that collaborative environment with your physician partners, with your case management partners, social work. And so we were able to really partner on getting this patient the equipment that they needed, helping them mobilize safely, securing a respite bed for that patient, making sure home health follow-up could go to that respite shelter and work with that patient. And then also helping that patient navigate next steps. So we also have a team of people that comes and helps that person make appointments. So if your health literacy is really poor or you don't have a phone or you don't know how your insurance works, we have people that come in and say, hey, here's an appointment with the orthopedist. You're gonna go at this time. We set up a Medicaid cab for you to get there. And then you're also gonna see the outpatient physical therapist on this date, we set up transportation from the respite bed to get you to that appointment as well. And so you're getting that kind of collaborative care in this emergent setting to make sure that this patient doesn't come back to the emergency department doesn't fall and injure themselves more and can hopefully recover and go back to being independent. Huge. I love the, um, I love you jumped right into the collaboration part because um, that was the one thing I, I really enjoyed about acute care, right? It was always the team approach. I mean, there was just no, there's no, you couldn't avoid it. If you didn't want to be on a team, then you had to quit. Acute yeah. And care, the right? emergency department is a team sport. And yeah, that's one of my favorite things about it. And the hierarchy is different, right? So it's not this oh, vertical hierarchy. Yeah. So I, I find in a lot of acute care, like you don't talk to the orthopedic surgeon, right? Like there's like 10 layers between the physical therapist and the orthopedic surgeon. And in the emergency department, it's very lateral. So the physicians will say, Dr. Griffith is going to evaluate and treat you next. She's a physical therapist. She's the one who needs to see you to help you get the best outcome that you can. So our physician partners manage up and they set expectations and then they help us do what's best for the patient. And so I love that. And I can come up to any attending in the emergency department. And if I say, oh, you know, I think this patient needs an MRI, they're going to go, oh, okay. And, and we're going to get that done for the patient because they trust our judgment, because they know our value, because they know that's what's best for the patient. And are we wrong sometimes? For sure. But emergency department physicians are also used to being wrong and making mistakes and having to like go down different paths. So I love that environment. I love that part of it because that's the best way we get things done for the patient. You know, so then the other thing I heard and you wrapped that example up from yesterday so nicely, right? So we got someone who, and fill in the blanks here, we got someone who's at a lower risk. So let, let's take it from this side because we could probably have the same exact conversation from a couple of sides. They're at a lower risk for not getting better. They're at a lower risk for not being able to be physical again because it was a fracture, right? And so mobility, whatever that means, right? They're at a lower risk for not being able to possibly do whatever they need to do to move their life forward, whether it's find work, whether it's find housing, whether it's whatever it is, right? So we decrease, I like this word, decrease risk a lot with the work we do instead of increasing things. Um, 
we have decreased the risk of all these things happening, which again, every step of those has a dollar sign associated with right. it. So and that's upstream care, right? Like we're yeah, getting here we go again. Problem. Yeah, I was just gonna go. There. That's <laughs> funny. So here we go. So, so, well, no, 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 this is perfect. I have a question I want to lead in to see, this is what gets interesting here. And this is what I wasn't thinking about when you set it off air. This is, um, right. Social determinants of health. Well, Mm. this isn't really upstream. This is way fucking downstream. Yeah. Bottom of the waterfall, right? Like we're, so now this this all makes sense. So just so you guys know, Rebecca said this to me at the beginning. I said, all right, I don't really get it, but we'll figure it out. And this is the perfect example because you can't call this upstream. You can't go, we're going upstream and helping Uh, people. We are are catching this individual at the bottom of the waterfall at the end of the stream and trying to help him get back up to the top to start over, right? Instead of having him continue to go downstream all the way out to the ocean where he's never to be seen or heard from again. So when I think about social determinants of health with this patient, I think a lot of my patients who are unhoused tell me that they sleep during the day because it's safer. And so they will, you might see unhoused individuals out sleeping on the sidewalk or sleeping on the street in broad daylight because it, it's safer for them. And then they walk all night. And some individuals will not go to shelters because they've experienced violence there or yeah. other unsafe things. Yeah. And so even if you, and if you can stay in a shelter, they usually don't allow you to be there during the day. So often these individuals are out walking all day and that's what happened to this individual and, and was attacked. So, you know, he was doing the best he can, but also doesn't have access to medications that he needs because he can't afford them. So doesn't have regular access to food and nutrition services, has no safe place to be, has no real supported coping mechanisms for the stress that he's under. So self-medicates with whatever he can get his hands on, doesn't really have access to job resources because of a disability. So, you know, so many different things there, you know, underinsured, poor health literacy, like so many little pieces that led this individual to this moment. Like you are like less likely to be assaulted in broad daylight walking down the street than this gentleman was. You know, you, if this did happen to you, could probably press charges. You could get the health care you needed. Might have been admitted to the hospital. Take sick time. Right? Take sick time, right? afford prescriptions, have a safe place to recover, have, have somebody in your family who could probably help you, could probably hire somebody if you needed to. You, you could choose the best orthopedic surgeon for this fracture. Like you could make all of these decisions that would greatly impact your your healthcare. I would probably still come and see you in the emergency department and be like, Hey, Jerry, like, let's, let's teach you how to use these crutches, but you can also afford a knee scooter. So I'm going to recommend that you just buy one of those so that you can get around quicker and get back to work. But this individual has to walk miles every day with a disability already that really prohibits him from being able to effectively use crutches for miles of ambulation per day. And then where's he going to rest and keep that ankle elevated in the, in the, in the, that, unfortunate outcome that he might need surgery. If that ankle continues to swell, that splint is not going to continue to fit. He's at risk for skin breakdown. He's at risk for poor healing because of malnutrition. You know, if he can't afford his prescription medications, what medications is he going to take to help cope with the pain? How is he going to manage that? Is that going to be through substance abuse or some other thing that he's able to access? It's not, in my experience, it's, it's, we're asking these patients to try and do so much with nothing. And so anything we can do to help lift them up a little bit 
it goes a long way. So yeah, this is a good example of having impact, right? So we have an impact, right? We're catching them at the bottom and doing what needs to be done on this day at this time with all that context. And so yes. there, there, there is value here and right. And then again, where the team comes in, where the resources available to this person come in, as long as everything's tapped and we can check the boxes and say, we truly did do what we need to do instead of just, Hey, put them in a spoint, gave them some crutches and put them back outside. Right. Correct. And, and let me give you an example of the other end of the spectrum. Does that work? Yeah. Well, that's where I want to go next. I, I think we have to make the point that this is a reality in any oh. fuck any ED you would work in. And yet yeah. this is where the, there's still impact, right? It, it's all impact. It's like, by the way, talk about acute care. We've all had it, right? You get that, you get that old stroke patient. You're like, why, what am I doing here? Why, why'd they call me in? Right. And there's still impact to be made working with someone regardless of where they Always. are <clears throat> in their journey. Right. Yes. And for any cl clinic owners that are listening, like if you could find a way to help us treat these patients that are unhoused and on outpatient. Well, there basis, you go too. Right. So then just now like having that more, out there. so, right. So, well, yes. Yeah, so you can ask. And then I want everybody <laughs> thinking, but I want people to go to, and that's probably what you're saying, go to an ED and say, look, how can I help you all when people Success. leave here, right? So, yes. and this is the way to grow that network. And by the way, if there's a PT in the ED, let's just say it's going to be way easier for you, the clinic owner in the community to yes. manage and set up expectations and relationships and be able to serve your community. I mean, that's a big part of the word I use. How can you impact the biggest part of your community? I say that all the time, right? That's how you grow a business. That's how you make more money. That's how you scale up. That's how you become more valuable. Again, here we go again, serving your community. Yes. And, and I think there's also a lot that our outpatient clinic partners can do to help us. Can you keep so, these patients yep. out of the emergency department, please? So if you wanted to see a PT today, Jerry, do you think you could do it? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. You, you, really? Because in, in our area, it's like three to four weeks to get an appointment with a physical therapist. But you can see, I could probably see a chiropractor in the next 60 minutes if I wanted to. Oh, right. Gotcha. So uh, from, from that perspective here, like we have, we have big access issues. So for me to get patients into, the, into an outpatient clinic, quickly is very difficult. So yeah, let's make sure real quick, real quick, because yeah. I think this word is very important that you just used and you're using it in one of two ways. And I want people, because when we say access, I think people think of money and insurance a lot. Mm. You're speaking about the other side, which I'm glad you're coming both, on both this, sides. is yeah. right. It, well, is first off is even if I have the resources, we're saying I can't get in. So Correct. it's not just the insurance and the money. It's the time. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, even patients that know they should see a physical therapist, I right. have coming to the emergency department because they can't tolerate the pain anymore. Oh, and they don't know what else to do. There we go. Yeah, there we go. So there's, there's one issue or they come to the emergency department because they have so much pain and they don't know where to go. And so there are so many patients that I think could, could avoid being in the emergency department overall. Like one of the number one reasons people go to the emergency department is low back pain. I think our hospital sees on average 
eight patients with low back pain per shift, which is about 24 patients per day, which could be one physical therapist to just treat low back pain. Like uh, literally, if you set up a tent in the parking lot and said low back pain treated here, you could probably like keep a a ton of patients from even going into the emergency department. So that's one area where I feel like we need to do a better job educating people. We need to have appointments available for people. We need to do some telehealth digital triage to help patients decide where they need to go. So if you own a clinic, you, I mean, if you could set that up, you have a call line somebody who doesn't know what to do with the pain that they're having and they can call and you say, Hey, like a nurse triage line only with a physical therapist. And then you can say, Hey, Jerry, like, I think, I think you really do need to go to the emergency department. Because that sounds like it, it could be really serious. I think you might need, you might have a fracture or something like that. Or you could say, hey, you know, it sounds like maybe a kidney stone. I would recommend you call your primary care doctor and see what they recommend. Something like that, that to, to really like protect the emergency department resources a little bit so that there's more musculoskeletal care happening in the community, which also saves money, right? Like well, I was just going to say, here we go again, right? I tell people I am the most expensive physical therapist visit ever, not because I get paid a tremendous amount of money, but because you have to pay for me and the physician and the nurses and the lights and the CT scanner, whether you use all that or not, right? You have that whole overhead of coming into a facility designed to care for emergencies, or you could go see a physical therapist in an outpatient clinic. You know, it's funny. I always say our goal is to keep people out of the system. So again, if there's a tent in the parking lot at the hospital, we're keeping right and keep people from having and just telling them you go in the door, you don't, then we're, we're impacting the system. We're doing what's best for the patient. We're getting them to the right place sooner. Yes. And then we're well, also- that's my job, Jerry. I'm the train station conductor. Yeah. You come in and I'm like, we need to get you out of here. Which train are you going to be on? You're on the home health train. You're on the outpatient train. You're on the rehab train. You're on the, you're going to be just fine train. So like, that's our whole job. You nailed it. Oh, no, 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 no. You're the next step. I was talking about the tent outside. You said the practice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. No, I, I know. So when oh, they okay. get into me, that's Yeah, my because job. once they get to you, it's game over in a sense. I'm going to get you on the right train. In I'm going to get sense you out of here. The, um, yeah, in a sense of, right, when you look at the research of being in the system versus being kept out of the system. And I kind of look at the hospital is a perfect example of being in the system. Again, just because yeah. of the costs associated with the, the specialists, all of it. Well, and I think the other thing that you make a good point of here is if you go into that emergency department and there isn't a physical therapist there, what are you coming back out with? Yeah, what are you coming are you, out with? Man. Are you coming back out with more fear? Are you coming back out with an opioid prescription? Are you coming back out with unnecessary imaging? Are you coming back out with a specialist referral to a surgeon that maybe you don't need? Like, are you coming out with work restrictions that are, are maybe going to delay your recovery? Like, what are you, what, once you go in, just to your point, what do you come back out with? Yeah, because the research shows most of that, right? All of it. Exactly. I was going to say yes. So, yeah. So, two great examples, I think, right? The back pain. That is crazy. I love it. Eight hours, a shift. And I went, holy shit, there's more than one shift. Um, Yeah, three. (laughs) Three eight-hour shifts per day. Wow, that is crazy, right? And again, that triage phone, right, would be worth its weight in gold just to help people. Again, it's not about send them all to PT. It's about send them to the right place, right? 
Well, and a lot of times PT is the right place. So then uh-huh. you're increasing oh, yeah. your own business flow. Yeah, you gotta yeah, well, that's a whole nother fucking rabbit hole we're gonna avoid, but instead of looking at <laughs> right, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, the answer yeah, that is part's yes. not my job. That yeah. part's not my job. Yeah, there's so oh my god, the opportunity. See, I hear opportunity and potential here. For sure. Right. And that was that was a big part. I, I told you stuff had come. I, I was like, just start talking. We'll we'll get to where we need to. Right. There, there's so much potential, which I have to bring it up. I gotta bring it up now. It's the the APTA um job forecasting thing, you know, that had the little disclaimer at the very, 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 very bottom that said these are based on okay. So I this is this whole thing is a total pet peeve of mine. This like increased supply and demand issue. So I think for me, if we continue practicing as we always have and do what we've always done, perhaps that will be a real issue. I'm not going to, I'm not in a position to argue about that. But one thing I say to students when I talk to them about practicing in the emergency department is if you take nothing else from me and you're like, I don't want to work in the emergency department, that sounds awful. That's not the point. The point is we need to go to where the patients are we need to serve the patients that are out there. The utilization of physical therapy is what, seven to 10%, maybe 20. And that is so many patients out the potential patients out there that need us, not even beginning to skim the surface of all the preventative care and good work we could do to actually keep people out of the system and keep people healthy. So if you hear me talk about practicing in the emergency department and you're like, wow, what a cool idea. My challenge for you is, how do you, what's your cool idea and where is your innovation coming from? Because it cannot continue to be within four walls in a clinic. It can't continue to be in the hospital. Like to me, it has to be, we need to stop siloing ourselves. We need to stop being the kind of PTs that are based on location. I'm an acute care therapist. I'm an outpatient therapist. Like if we could just be all patient therapists and get to the patients and find different models. And, and I know that there's like a crisis with the reimbursement, but if we're continue to provide the same services that we're providing, frankly, I don't know that we deserve a lot more reimbursement for that. We need to be making people better. We need to keep people from needing all of these extra services. And we are the people to do that, but we have to do it in a different way. And I think if you, if you look at the intention of being a doctoring profession, being a doctor, really, you manage patients. You don't fill orders. You're not a technician. So we need to stop focusing on all of our technical skills, which, which we absolutely need in our toolkit, but we need to grow a robust management set of skills so we can start managing populations, start managing patients, start giving the people that they need the care that they need, keeping people out of the emergency department and making society a little bit better, but we are not answering the call. And if we can start answering the call, we're going to be drowning in need for physical therapists. So that's yeah. my, soap, my soapbox about that. No, that's good. I'm just going to echo the last thing you said, that if we do all those things you said and start looking, taking the blinders off and looking broader instead of deeper, right? It's interesting. People try to go deeper into this hole we've already dug. And I'm like, you got to start filling that fucker in. Because you just got to, you got to be able to see outside of that hole we dug. And then we see the opportunity to service our communities, my favorite phrase because that that could mean many different things to many different people right that's why i love it because i think that term should speak to everybody you know i see what ryan shelton's doing in his community i see what you're doing right and you you've already given 
whether people heard it or not, you've given at least two to three very viable options of how to do something different in your current community without ever going into the ED, by the way. Um, meaning you yes. don't have to be a PT in the ED to do it. You've already you spoken to a couple of those. So I like your, I just want to echo what you said about, look, it doesn't have to be the ED, but you got to be going. You're right. Uh, so when I talk to students, um, I tend to be a little more short and sweet and probably use some more curse words than you do. Um, but I say, if, you, if, if you're looking to get out and do the same thing, then you're, I say, just fucking forget about it. I literally tell them. If you're looking to get out and do the same thing, by the way, I challenge him to say, if you're looking to get out and do the same things I was doing and currently are doing, then forget about it. I, I was like, yeah. look no further than me and the last 30 years and we're leaving it worse than we found it. Yeah. And there's and, no and denying it. There is I'm no denying it. And so doing, you know, I, I think the example you led with was, was the perfect example. I'm glad you didn't lead with the fucking low back pain people coming in. Um, we get it. Well, They're there. I mean, I think that's the most like relatable, but to me, but, that's but we not get it, but it. the impact. Yeah. And let's face it, you know, if eight, eight times three, 24. So if I put my tent out front and I keep 10 and 12 of them out of there, I'm having an impact, but damn, you know, again, there, there's right here's, we could say if these are first incidences, here we are upstream, right? Yes. But damn, we got to think about what you said that really, I was like, what? And you explained so well as, you know, who are these people were catching over the waterfall because well, lifetime, lifetime on those people, the spend is oh, pure insanity. Oh, well, and it just continues to deteriorate. And correct, I think correct. The other thing that I see in the emergency department is the gaps in all aspects of physical therapy. Interesting. interesting. So I'm seeing the home care patients yeah. who are falling, even yeah. though they're doing home health PT and don't know how to get off the ground. I'm seeing the patients who get discharged from subacute rehab as soon as their days are up, not when their function's appropriate, but as soon as their days are up. So I had a patient who came into the ED who had gone to subacute rehab and days were up. They were like, you're leaving on Friday regardless. And they sent that patient home in a, or in a wheelchair ambulance van. The patient got into the house. The family tried to get that patient into a, uh, off the wheelchair. Couldn't do it. They had to call the fire department. Fire department literally had to pull the patient out of the house on a sheet because the patient had fallen. And, you know, and then they came back into the ED. And now we're back at the beginning, right? Because the patient was not ready to go home. So I see those gaps. And then I see the acute rehab where I'm like, I have the perfect patient for you. Like this patient is motivated, capable, ready to do therapy. Oh, we don't take that insurance. We don't have any beds for that diagnosis or that they're not rehabable. That's, that's my least favorite. They're not rehabable. Well, how do you know? I mean, we made progress in the 30 minutes I was in there. Like, how do you know they're not rehabable? Or we won't take them because they have a mental health issue. So one of the greatest travesties of our healthcare system is that you cannot have a physical issue and a mental health issue at the same time. There's nowhere for you to go. You can't go to physical rehab because you have a mental health issue. And you can't go to mental health rehab because you have a physical disability and no one here will help you. And you can't have a walker because it's a weapon. You know, like, so there's there's a business model for you. Please open a rehab that serves people with mental health issues and physical health issues and help these people get better. 
And with as much as we know about how the mental health aspect plays into your physical health, why are we not treating all of these things? There's so many gaps in the care that we provide. And I see outpatient patients who are coming in because their pain is worse and they're afraid to go see their physical therapist because their physical therapist to them is making them worse. Whether that's accurate or not, that's the perception. Right. That they it, have. it doesn't matter because they're there. Yeah. They don't have the perception that this is the person you go to, to, to help with your pain. You may go to get stronger or whatever, but that's, they're not going to help you right. modulate your pain. So we're failing people in that aspect as well, or they feel like they're going to see, um, the other one I see a lot is, is patients who are going for workers comp to see a physical therapist and they have tremendous pain. Like I had a patient who was being run on the treadmill with a hip labral tear. And, and she's like, after PT, I just go home and cry every day. I don't know how I'm supposed to go back to work. And I don't know why I'm running. Like, I, I don't understand why I have to run. Like, I don't need that for my job. It's not something I'm interested in, but they make me run every time because they say it's going to make me better. And I'm like, woof like why are we doing this to people so i think it's a unique place to see yeah. how our profession is is treating people in different settings so if nothing else everybody should hear about six more opportunities built on the first couple that were brought up yeah, well, I, and I'm sure I'm not seeing the patients who are getting excellent physical therapy right like those are not the people that i'm seeing i'm seeing the people well when we failing. only hey by the way so we, we don't get too much of a pass, my friend, because when we only see seven to 10% of the people that can access us, right? Because we, because we don't want to do the work, find more people. We just want to find the people that um, fit whatever we created, which was a business to bill insurance. How do you like that one? I say that out loud more, more than once, but yeah, you know, what insurance do you have? You know, if all the secret calls of all the secret callers I've ever done, just say, Hey, this is Jerry, I have low back pain. I want to get physical therapy, probably 80. I'll run it up to about 90% by the third question of asked me what insurance I have. Part of me, part of me wants to, uh, part of me wants to pause and go, why does it matter? Because that's, what's so interesting. If I asked you what insurance you have, why does it matter? The answer would be strictly business. Unfortunately. It'd be because so we can get paid, but it was like, but you didn't ask me how I wanted to pay, you know? So again, oh, it's, yeah. it's so fucked up on so many levels again. So the, the challenge here I hear is probably what Rebecca wanted you to hear was you don't have to want to go into the ED, but if you hear all these examples, the opportunities are immense when it comes to having a greater impact on your community. And by the way, um, I'm, I'm going to cut this off right now before, because everybody's thinking it. If you open a mental health space to, or sorry, if you open a rehab center to manage musculoskeletal issues or whatever you want to call it for people with mental issues, and you got outside your box of thinking, I have to go through insurance to get paid, then you will be very successful. If you're just going to sit back and go, well, who would pay for that? Don't even bother. Don't even bother starting yeah. it because you won't get paid because you're stuck in the system that got us here. Yeah. I you like know, to tell people they need to yeah. think outside the matrix, right? Like yeah, you're, right, you're, right. we're in the matrix. We're and so I, in the I matrix. mean, most people are probably too young to even get that reference anymore, but I mean, you and I know totally. we are in the matrix. Yeah. So, and so we have to, Neo. you know, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. As I like to say, healthcare is the only industry that I know of in America 
that builds models around payer source? Payer-centered care, not patient-centered care. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and I've said this before many times, I'll say it again, if the clinics that did that would just own it, they could probably be better at what they do. Hmm. But they're trying to cover up the fact of whether it's fucking for themselves to feel better or whatever. But if they would just own that, they could probably do better for their community, but they won't own it. So they pretend like they're caring. They pretend like they put patients first. But then the third question out of their mouth is what insurance do you have? I'm like, why don't you just own that you're an in-network driven insurance company, put it all over your website and those people will find you. Yeah. And then yet build a model that doesn't discharge them after day 31, right? So if you own that, then you have to own the responsibility and the accountabilities that come with that, right? And I think, I think patients want relationships. And the first thing I do when I go in to see a patient is build a relationship because I can't get people to trust me in one of the most vulnerable moments of their life if I don't build a relationship. And, and I'm very good at doing that quickly. And, and I'm not going to like say, oh, I shouldn't say that, but like I is one of the things that I am very good at. It's one of my best skills is walking into a room, being that chameleon that can fit whatever is going on in that room and, and building that trust with that patient so I can help them. And whether or not I'm the best at doing an SI joint manipulation or I'm the, the quickest dry needler or whatever, like I'm, I am excellent at establishing patient rapport. And if you can build relationships with patients that last, in those outpatient, in those like community-based settings, that's another way you keep people out of the emergency department because they know they can call you. They know they can ask you. They know they, that they trust you. They, they are going to trust you. If, if they're like, oh, you know, Dr. Smith thinks I need to have a hip replacement. What do you think? You know, there are so many opportunities to build that relationship with your community and with your patients. My goal is that my patients never need me again, right? Like, and I think as physical therapists, that's a great goal that you should not need to see us. But that means we did our job. That means they're thriving, they're healthy, they're doing what they need to do. But then if you do need us, you know exactly where to come and who will help you. So I, I would like to see us as physical therapists for, form better relationships with our patients and stop talking about them like their knees or there's a back in room five. Like these are humans that also need relationships. They need trust. And they need guidance. And that's our job. And it's a profound privilege to do this. I don't think most people come out of school putting enough value on that, but that's not for this conversation. So I don't even think we're, no matter what people say, we don't, there is no foundation for that. That's unfortunate. I tell, um, I tell any group of newer or soon to be newer grads, I say, do not, again, I tend to use less words than you and be a little rougher around the edges um, Good balance. is I tell them, do not take a clinical course. When you get out of school, first thing you got to do is take a communication course, a mm -hmm. motivational interviewing, a how to listen course, right? How to reflect all those things. I'm like, if you think you need clinical skills then what the fuck did you just go to over a hundred thousand dollars or sorry? Yeah. Clinical skills. Let's just the, the PT skills. I'm like, why'd you just spend a hundred thousand dollars to get that diploma? I'm like, that's yeah. not what you're lacking. I've never had a PT I hired that was lacking in the clinical skills. They were lacking in the problem solving and the communication, right? A hundred percent of them were. 
critical thinking. Yeah. yeah and, and, and I talk to students about like, you have this whole tool set, but now I need you to use that skill set in an unfamiliar way. Because if you have somebody who's coming in on a gurney screaming with low back pain, they're not going to stand up and do quadrant testing. You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta use yeah, right. all those clinical yeah. skills that you right, have. Can I, but can I get you to stand totally up, please? Can I get you to Could stand, you just up, stand up? And also yeah. we're not doing every single special test because if you think about your irritability, their symptoms are highly irritable. So I, I joke with my, uh, my um, outpatient colleagues that they have never treated anybody with acute low back pain yeah, right. before. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally different vibe. So when I train people in the emergency department who have worked in outpatient, they have such great skills, but they don't know how to get that patient from here down to here. Well, not interesting. Yeah, because that person yeah. who can get out of bed and get in his mobile get enough dressed. to get to the office, right? Yeah, all of it to get it's dressed. In the all office. Over. They may be in a lot of pain, but they're doing it, you know. But that person who had to person. come in by ambulance. That's a different vibe. Wow. Yep. Um, so you are, what, tell me about your, uh, tell me about the work you're doing to help other people to understand this and learn about the role in the so, ED. My goal is to make emergency department physical therapy like well-known and well-practiced because there's not a lot out there for emergency physical therapists. So if you are one and you're listening and you need some continuing education, I've got you. If you're thinking about starting a practice in the emergency department, I've got you. I've got a two-day course coming up in Boston. If you are an outpatient PT and you're like, hey, that digital triage thing sounds pretty cool, I'm going to be teaching that in Boston or I have that as a webinar on my website so you can just start doing that right now. Also, if you're like, hey, this just sounds cool. I don't know if I want to take a class, but I want to learn more. I wrote a book so that you could just read the book and figure out what to do next and how to apply all these skills of being top of scope, practicing at your max capacity to you and your practice, no matter where you are. The setting of the book, right, is the emergency department, but there are lessons to be learned no matter where you practice. Because oh, we all for sure, everything you've shared so scope, far. All patient yeah. therapists. So the book is called Top of Scope, the Emergency Department Physical Therapist Handbook, and it's on Amazon. And if you are listening and you're in a hospital setting already and you're like, that sounds amazing. I don't know where to start. I don't even know how to get this done. Like, I'm happy to come into your hospital and get it done for you. We offer consulting services to get your practice up and running so you can be upstream in one of the most downstream places in the healthcare system. That, that, that was a perfect sentence to end on. Um, where can they go besides Amazon to find your book? Um, so my website is www.theeddpt and you can the find me theeddpt. So hold on. You got it. Theeddpt.com. Correct. The EDPT, will, he, he will take, that website will take you to the website of a lovely personal trainer in England. So you got to make sure you get that extra D in there. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the EDDPT as well. And please feel free to reach out. I really, I love talking about this kind of stuff. I love sharing what I do. I love helping people think from that innovative mindset, no matter where you are and what you're doing. I had a a guy that I talked to who'd been working in a protocol-based clinic, a post-surgical protocol-based clinic for nine years. And he said, I've just been spending the last nine years like getting slowly dumber and like losing my clinical skills and my clinical judgment and my critical thinking. So if that like resonates with you, like let's talk and get you moving back out into the world and, and ready to innovate and serve your community. What better place to be? So I'm going to tell you right now, people listening, that if you think about, here's my takeaway. 
you know, if you think about where this conversation started and where it's ending here is it's funny. And because I think it ties in perfectly with you saying that last person being in the ED, obviously, as you guys have heard, opens up and even broadens the view of the landscape wider when you heard of, okay, what I, what, what Rebecca sees in the ED yet these opportunities and innovation and areas of change that need to occur areas of innovation that need to occur. So if nothing else, man, it's like, yeah, you go into the ED and you broaden your view and even get wiser about how can we better serve that community we're in. Right. And how can I facilitate some of these things? Like you said, and I'm going to go back to this, some freaking outpatient clinic opens up a damn tent in the parking lot of the ED and to screen the, you know, if you have low back pain, stop here first. You know, it's like, I mean, these, these aren't rocket, just bear with me. These aren't rocket science solutions. It's just broadening the vision and getting out of this old way of thinking and sitting around and waiting and twiddling our thumbs for someone to call and say, hi, I'm Jerry. I have low back pain. Can I get scheduled? Anything else, Rebecca, you want to leave us with? No, I mean, I just, we're hope bringers as physical therapists, and we can do that no matter where we are. So I just want to remind you that that's like your mission in life is to bring people hope and help people get better and help people not need physical therapy. And that, and it truly is like such a privilege to work in this field. And I think we've been forgetting that we've been losing sight of the value that we provide because of the value that we're receiving. And I think if we can remember why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing, we're going to find new ways to thrive. Well, uh, let's say new and better. So new better, and better ways. Um, I don't think all the new things are necessarily better, but that's I think valid, yeah. a step, right? Because <laughs> I mean, they're valid. a step, but what you're talking about is new and better. So l- let me, let me clarify it that way, you know, and I measure better by impact. Right. So yeah. where's the impact to be had here? The better I say, oh, I got a better practice. And they tell me, and I'm like, that, that's not much more of an impact to anybody anywhere. It's a very small impact. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, when you think about what you just shared and the impact to any community of fucking 500 people or 13 million people like my community, um, just insane, the impact that can be made by starting to view things broader yeah cool be the grout therapist who's filling in the gaps that was great Uh, that's what i thought you said i'm like she said grout and you started saying that i'm like oh filling in there we go yeah you're holding the tiles together yeah i love it i love it well thank you very much rebecca i appreciate your time and sharing and i think um it fits the theme perfectly i need to bunch this up with a couple of the other people i've had on and need to throw it out there under the broaden your freaking field of vision story you know and in the uh, uh last thing the, the the kids i call them the kids everybody can be offended by that anybody who's a third year pt student i don't even care if they're older than me i call them the kids um they want this information oh my they lord do. they want this information 
They really I, I have do. the best conversations with PT students after I talk to them about this. And I just was at the North, uh, North New yeah, England Conclave. Yeah. And that whole conference was about different areas of practice for physical therapists. Awesome. Awesome. And the students were so invigorated at the end. And they were so many so questions too, man. They just start asking questions like crazy. Oh. I'm like, if you're going to bring this shit anywhere, you better be ready to answer questions, my friends, because yeah. they ain't going to let you walk out. No, they just, they were so happy to know that like there was more. Yeah. And it's almost a little bit of a, right. Cause they're getting, I'm talking to a group now. I've, I've been following up with them, right. They're now six months from graduation, right. Right. They want this info. They, 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 they want to explore. And I was challenging them to do a little more work, right. Outside of, I said, look, let's balance this out. Right. Okay. So what, what's the, our theme has always been, what's the one thing you can do this week or over the next two weeks? And just one thing, literally, right? To, yeah. to learn a little more, to get a little deeper, to see what you can do. Cool. I love that. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Cheers. All right, everybody. The, T-H-E-E-D-D-P-T.com. Cheers.